Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, Chernobyl is known for the nuclear accident that took place on April 26, 1986. The citizens of the nearby city of Pripyat were forced to evacuate, but for many, it was too late. Thousands were infected by the poisonous cloud that spread from Reactor 4 across several countries. The contaminated area surrounding Chernobyl nuclear power plant remains uninhabitable and will stay that way for thousands of years. Staff and visitors to the exclusion zone have noticed a spike in paranormal activity in the abandoned buildings and even inside the reactor itself. Strange sightings date back to even before the accident claimed so many lives. Tune in as we dive into the worst man-made nuclear accident in history, as well as the hauntings that took place before and after. This is episode number 74 of Hometown Ghost Stories, The Haunting of Chernobyl. Andre stepped up to the doorway to Reactor 4. He was a nuclear physicist from the University of Buffalo, tasked with the job of running tests at Ground Zero of the Chernobyl tragedy. It was 7.30 a.m., and his breakfast was sitting in the pit of his stomach like a lump of concrete. He had been doing a pretty good job keeping his composure when speaking with the facility staff, but now here at Unit 4 by himself, he felt himself shaking slightly from the anxiety. He pulled out his handheld Geiger counter with his clammy, trembling hands. As he confirmed the levels were safe, albeit considerably higher than other areas, he heard something from inside the concrete shell. It sounded almost like a distant human screaming and seemed to be emanating from deep within the reactor. Thinking his ears were playing tricks on him, he leaned closer, not quite touching the wall, but close enough for him to hear what was most certainly a human voice and it was screaming about a fire. Startled, Andre jumped back as if he had stepped on a rattlesnake. He hurried back upstairs to the men who had let him in. Catching his breath, he explained that while taking readings, he could hear someone faintly but desperately screaming for aid in putting out a fire. The screams were coming from inside Reactor 4. Andre turned back around to hurry down the steps, assuming that the men would be right behind him, exhibiting the same sense of urgency but they just stood there, looking puzzled. He turned back to them and blurted out, Well, aren't you coming to help the man? One of the men finally spoke up. You're the first person to enter that facility in three years. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, The Ghosts of Chernobyl. Lying about 130 kilometers north of Kiev, Ukraine, and roughly 20 kilometers south of the border with Belarus, 
sits Chernobyl Power Complex. The area is a Belarusian-type woodland, sitting about three kilometers from the city of Pripyat, where roughly 49,000 people lived in the 1980s. The old town of Chernobyl, which had a population of 12,500, is about 15 kilometers southeast of the complex. In total, over 100,000 people lived within a 30-kilometer radius of the power plant. The complex consisted of four nuclear reactors of the RBMK-1000 design. Construction began on the first two units in 1970 and were completed in 1977. The second two units were of the same design, and those were completed in 1983. An artificial lake which provided water to cool the reactors sat to the southeast, where construction had begun on two additional units, but those would never be completed. The RBMK-1000 is a Soviet-designed and built graphite-moderated pressure tube-type reactor. It used slightly enriched uranium dioxide fuel. It's a boiling light water reactor. To explain it in simple terms, two loops would feed steam directly to the turbines. Water gets pumped to the bottom of the fuel channels, which boils as it travels up the pressure tubes. This would produce steam, which would power the turbines. The vertical pressure tubes contain the zirconium alloy-clad uranium dioxide fuel around which the cooling water flows. These tubes are surrounded by graphite. The graphite acts like a moderator, which slows down the neutrons to make them more efficient in producing fission in the fuel. Nitrogen and helium is circulated between the graphite blocks, which prevents oxidation of the graphite and improves the transmission of the heat produced by the neutron interactions in the graphite to the fuel channel. The core is about 7 meters high and 12 meters in diameter. Emergency core cooling systems were incorporated into the reactor design. The RBMK-1000 reactor also had a positive void coefficient, where an increase in steam bubbles, aka voids, is accompanied by an increase in core reactivity. It would later be discovered that the RBMK-1000 had some massive design flaws and the Soviets cut corners to save money when it came to safety measures surrounding the Chernobyl power plant. On April 25, 1986, the crew at Chernobyl 4 began preparing for a test to determine how long the turbines would spin and supply power to the main circulating pumps following a loss of main electrical power supply. The test had been carried out the previous year, but in that test, the power from the turbines ran down too fast, so new voltage regulator designs needed to be tested. Needless to say, mistakes were made. The test was set to take place earlier in the day on April 25th, but the morning crew passed the job along to the afternoon crew, who were ordered to pass it along to the night crew due to the peak electricity usage hours coming up in the evening. The operators disabled the automatic shutdown mechanisms and attempted the test early on April 26th, just after 1 a.m. The operators in charge were not fully prepared. Many of the printed out instructions on how to conduct the shutdown and transfer power had been crossed out and replaced by handwritten notes. The operators placed a phone call to their higher-ups, confused about which directions to follow, and they were ordered to ignore the handwritten notes and follow the printed ones that had been crossed out instead. The power level once again dropped too fast, and since they had disabled the emergency systems, there wasn't enough power left to activate the pumps. By the time the operator had time to shut down the reactor, it was already extremely unstable. The design of the control rods caused a massive power surge as they were inserted into the reactor. 
basically the combination of extremely hot fuel with the cooling water led to fuel fragmentation and a ton of steam production, which increased pressure rapidly. This reduced the amount of valuable cooling water, and a positive void coefficient was occurring. This caused a massive power increase. Basically, more steam equals less water equals more power equals more heat equals even more steam. As power increased, less and less cooling water was sent to the reactor. At 1.23am, they hit the EPS-5 emergency scram button, which would send all remaining rods into the core. A large reason why the core was so unstable was because all of the rods had been removed during the test, leaving them with little control over the reactor. Hitting that button was a massive mistake. Within seconds, the control rods jammed. Due to a massive design flaw, the end of the rods were made out of graphite, which was supposed to act as a moderator. But with the core so unstable, it was producing about seven times the amount of power that it was supposed to. In this state, the graphite tips would only increase reaction inside the core. The heavy metal cover plate of the reactor partially detached, leaving the core exposed. This ruptured the fuel channels and jammed the control rods that were only halfway down at the time. Steam continued to generate as the ruptured emergency cooling system was being dumped into the core. And boom! A steam explosion released fission products into the atmosphere. Within three seconds, a second explosion threw out fragments from the fuel channels and hot graphite. The second explosion was likely caused by the production of hydrogen from zirconium steam reactions. Two workers were killed from the explosions. About 300 tons of graphite was ejected along with the fuel. Fires began to spread, causing the main release of radioactivity into the environment. An estimated 200 to 300 tons of water per hour was injected into the intact half of the reactor using the pumps, but this was stopped when they realized that it would probably flood units 1 and 2, which would have made the situation even worse. Two trainees were sent into the reactor hall, ordered to lower the rods by hand. They only remained inside the room for about one minute before turning back, shocked by what they saw and realizing that this task was absolutely impossible. The pair returned to the control room to report on their findings. Their skin had already turned a reddish brown from exposure to such high levels of radiation, and they reported that the core was completely gone. Both of them died within weeks. Part of the roof had collapsed, causing Turbine 7 to catch fire, breaking an oil pipe in the process, which spread fire around Reactor 4, setting the roof ablaze. Emergency crews were called into action, with firefighters and first responders unaware of just how serious this kind of explosion was. Sand, clay, and lead were dropped onto the burning core by helicopters in an effort to extinguish the blaze and limit the release of radioactive particles. This sand would eventually turn into lava, which would create further problems down the line. All of the xenon gas, roughly half of the iodine and casium, and at least 5% of the remaining radioactive material in the reactor's core was released in a massive, poisonous cloud. Most of the material was deposited close by as dust and debris, but the lighter material was spread out by wind, passing from Ukraine to Belarus, Russia, and even spread over Scandinavia and Germany. Firefighters were able to extinguish the fires on the roof of the turbine building. At least six of them paid the ultimate price, dying from radiation doses. At least 28 people died within the first 24 hours after the explosions. Many firefighters and workers at the power plant developed acute radiation syndrome, which occurs if a person is exposed to more than 700 milligrays within a few minutes. Common ARS symptoms include nausea, vomiting, headaches, burns, and fever. Whole body doses, which are between 4,000 and 5,000 milligrays, would kill about 50% of those exposed. 
and for those who were exposed to over 8,000 milligrays, there wouldn't be a single survivor. The firefighters who died on scene had an estimated range up to 20,000 milligrays. The volume and intensity of radioactive particles released that night was equal to 10 atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima. And that doesn't even account for the hundreds of tons of reactor fuel and graphite that landed all over the power plant. As the core continued to burn, the site needed to be cleaned up and sealed off fast as radiation continued to spread. Roughly 200,000 liquidators from all over the Soviet Union were involved in the recovery and cleanup over the following year. Citizens in the surrounding cities were rounded up and evacuated, many departing with only their clothing on their backs. All personal belongings, pets, and vehicles were left behind. The town of Pripyat was evacuated on April 27th, and within three weeks, around 116,000 people that had been living within a 30-kilometer radius had been evacuated. The death toll from the explosions at Chernobyl is nearly impossible to pinpoint. The initial deaths on site officially ranged from 31 to about 50, but hundreds of thousands of liquidators were exposed to the radioactive material as well as thousands of residents who lived nearby. There is a considerable debate concerning the number of projected deaths that have yet to occur due to the disaster's long-term health effects. It's estimated that between 4,000 and 16,000 people may have developed some sort of radiation-induced cancer. The Soviet Union downplayed the severity of this incident from day one. Hell, they denied it from minute one. They denied that radiation had any effect on the population, mindlessly sending soldiers and workers to their deaths to clean up the toxic mess. Initially, officials only reported on the two deaths from the power plant workers who died in the reactor's explosion. Later that year, they would increase that official count to 30, which accounted for the 28 deaths of the additional workers and first responders. But locals begged to differ. They saw firsthand the horrifying effects that this disaster had on their bodies, their children, and livestock. Children were born with birth defects, stillborns and miscarriages skyrocketed, pigs and calves were born with missing or extra limbs. In the first five years after this disaster, cases of cancer among children increased by more than 90%. But still, the Soviet Union denied that this had anything to do with the explosions at Reactor 4, even calling the citizens' growing concerns, quote, radiophobia. Lubov Sirota, a Ukrainian poet and Pripyat evacuee, reported on what she saw and the effects that the radiation had on her body. Quote, they did not register us and our deaths were not linked to the accident. They wrote us off as a lingering stress, cunning genetic disorders. Thousands of competent functionaries count our souls in percentages. They wrote us off. An evacuee from a village nearby named Nikolai Kalugin claimed that his daughter died in the weeks after the accident as a result of what he maintains were unrecorded local cases of radiation sickness. Quote, they brought in a little coffin, it was small, like the box for a large doll. I want to bear witness. My daughter died from Chernobyl, and they want us to forget about it. Despite the Soviet Union's effort to cover up the true horrors of the accident, Russian affiliates at the annals of New York Academy of Sciences published a report that estimates around 985,000 premature deaths as a result of the radioactivity released in 1986. It's estimated that the area around Chernobyl won't be safe for humans to inhabit for at least 20,000 years. Yuri Andreev worked as a power plant system engineer in the Chernobyl power plant. On the night of the explosions, he ran to the scene of the accident to help out in any way. 
Yuri and his group had to shut down Reactor 2, and they were exposed to a lethal level of radiation in the process. Yuri was hospitalized with radiation sickness and nearly died. During his stay, in his dreams, he kept seeing the same image. It was a pine tree in the shape of a cross. He believed that this was a sign from God. Sitting 1,600 meters from Reactor 4 is a pine tree of this exact description. The tree had a bit of a reputation already. In World War II, during the German occupation of Ukraine between 1941 and 1944, this tree was used by Nazis to hang Russian soldiers and partisans, earning its nickname, the Partisan Tree. It stood between the Chernobyl power plant and the city of Pripyat. After the explosion, the radiation cloud began to move towards the city, where thousands of residents had yet to be evacuated. Miraculously, when the cloud reached the Partisan Tree, it inexplicably split and seemed to move to the left and right instead of passing directly through the city center, possibly killing thousands. Yuri reached out to a bishop and described the images from his dreams and received his blessing to have an icon made. The icon depicts Jesus Christ in the clouds. Below him are doctors and construction workers, as well as victims of the accident. The power plant sits in the background and the partisan tree stands in the middle. Jesus is depicted holding a scroll referencing the book of Revelations. The passage reads, The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Chernobyl, in the Ukrainian languages, translates to black weed, which is a member of the Wormwood family. The icon was blessed in 2003, and during its unveiling, hundreds of witnesses claimed that the sign of the cross appeared in the sky, followed by a rainbow, despite there being no rain that day. Shortly after, Yuri miraculously recovered from his illness and was released from the hospital. In the days leading up to the tragedy, workers at the Chernobyl power plant began reporting odd sightings. A massive black bird-like creature was spotted flying above Reactor 4. They claimed that it looked like it was part crow and part human. Some described the creature to have no head, but bright red eyes with a 20-foot wingspan. Those who saw this massive creature would then be haunted by the bird and their nightmares, some even receiving strange threatening phone calls at all hours of the night. While some saw the black bird of Chernobyl as a threat, Others believed it may have been trying to warn them of the impending disaster, but none of them would have imagined the magnitude of the disaster that was to come. Blackbirds have been considered omens of death by many, dating back thousands of years. The Celtic goddess of war, the Morrigan, was known to appear as a crow on the battlefield. Odin, the father of Thor, was usually depicted wearing a cloak and wide-brimmed hat with two black birds perched on his throne. Some reported to see the Blackbird of Chernobyl reappear after the explosion, flying between the plumes of smoke billowing from the fires. But as the locals evacuated and the area became abandoned, it seems that the Blackbird of Chernobyl vanished as well. The Blackbird has also been called the Mothman of Chernobyl, similar to or the same as the creature that terrorized the community of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, before the Silver Bridge collapsed back on December 15, 1967, which killed 46 people. The Mothman seemed to up and vanish after that tragedy, much like the Blackbird of Chernobyl. Andrei Karusikov, a nuclear physicist from the University of Buffalo, 
went to Chernobyl to conduct tests. His first stop was to ground zero of the tragedy, Unit 4. He arrived around 7.30 a.m. Shortly after, he hurried back upstairs and told the men who let him in that while taking readings, he could hear someone faintly but desperately screaming for aid in putting out a fire. The screams were coming from inside Reactor 4. They informed him that he was the first to enter the facility in nearly three years. They also reminded him that in order to enter the restricted area, they needed a handprint, a password, and would need to bypass the alarm system. It was impossible that he was hearing an actual human being inside of Unit 4. Later that same evening, he was eating outside with a colleague by the river. As he was telling his strange story from earlier, they noticed a light turn on from inside the locked building. They found this odd, since nobody was inside at the time. They chalked it up to faulty wiring, but as soon as they said this, the light turned back off. The city of Pripyat remains deserted, but visitors have been reporting sights of supernatural beings for decades. Mysterious sightings of ghost-like human figures, which resemble those who died in the accident, have been spotted more and more frequently in recent years. Destination Truth was one of the only paranormal teams granted access to the restricted zones to conduct an overnight investigation. During their 2009 stay, they captured images in the shapes of human beings on thermal imaging equipment. These figures appeared to be running around what were supposed to be abandoned buildings, with multiple figures showing up in the abandoned hospital. They also experienced equipment malfunctioning, as well as batteries draining. According to Veronica Vadraba, who was a fourth grader at Pripyat in 1986, she periodically travels back to her childhood home in the exclusion zone and claims that recently she had been seeing the ghostly figures of friends and family who died from radiation sickness. Veronica claims that these figures had no face and would most frequently appear at schools and playgrounds. In the school building, investigators spotted a figure in the second story window. When they climbed the stairs to investigate, they heard the sound of one of the pianos being played. There was one consistency during the paranormal investigation at Pripyat. Every time something unexplained would occur, the Geiger counters would spike. The unmistakable clicking sound would go faster and faster before a paranormal event would occur, causing the investigators to move on from the area for their own safety. Chernobyl will always be remembered for the nuclear disaster that happened in 1986, and those who were brave enough to risk and sacrifice their lives to clean up this toxic mess and literally save the world. But with limited access to this abandoned exclusion zone, plus with the war now raging in Ukraine, the mysterious supernatural happenings inside of Chernobyl will remain a mystery for now. I'm Jesse Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, The Ghosts of Chernobyl. What's up, folks, and welcome into Hometown Ghost Stories, episode number 70. Whoops, let's <laughs> remove Rob. What's up, and welcome into episode number 74 of Hometown Ghost Stories, Chernobyl, the ghosts and hauntings 
of Chernobyl. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. Hello, Rob. All right, everybody. Put your textbooks away. Pens and paper on the table. Get ready. Question number one. Jesse, go. I would fail this test if I didn't have a script <laughs> that I was reading from. We're also joined by Dave. Hello, Dave. What's going on? What's going on? Welcome in. Hometown nuclear physics stories, says Kathy McSlugs. Uh, we were talking about you in the Patreon pre-show hangout because you have all the gas masks and we really blew it by not preparing ourselves by coming in with, you know, the doctor's cloak. What, what do you call it? A thing? Lab coat. Lab coat. Yep. Doctor's cloak. <laughs> <laughs> Could have had doctor's cloaks, as you can tell. Uh, let, let, let me let me start off by saying this. I am Jesus. not a nuclear physicist. I know I may have convinced some of you, but if you feel the need to go in and correct anything that I got wrong, uh, don't because we're not going to know what you're talking about if you correct it anyways. So relax with your teacher's smock. And... <laughs> it's a doctor's smock, actually. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, if uh, you want to reference anything, I did, uh, I did put all the sources in the show notes so you can check those out. A lot of a uh, lot of crazy shit surrounding this story. They probably could have turned me into a GIF as you were explaining everything, like the woman with all the equations flying around her head. I'm just in here, like, <laughs> what is happening? What show are we doing? I'm very underprepared for this. I should have gone back and and just taken out the part where I said, "Let me put it in simple terms," because I said, "Let me put it in simple terms." And then I said a whole bunch of shit <laughs> that I didn't even understand. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, so I I was going from. I'll go into the sources in a bit, but a lot of the stuff I got from this book here, which is uh, Chernobyl 012340, which is a really good book. It's written by uh, Andrew Leatherbarrow. That's a name. That's and a uh, name. But it's a, it's a thorough book, and he goes through all the, the stuff that I went over also. I got a bunch of it from um, – I don't remember what the sources are, but it was uh, it was well-sourced stuff. Most of it came from world-nuclear.org, so that sounds pretty official, but – it does. Yeah, I kind of Those got a, orgs. a general grasp of how nuclear reactors work, to which I'm still looking at it like, I don't know how people figure out how to do this stuff. But to make a long story short, they split atoms in these reactors using the uh, the fuel. So that is the real simple terms for you. And you try to learn it in like four days. So like- <laughs> Knocked it out. Knocked it out. <laughs> Yeah, so uranium. Uranium is like an unstable fuel, and this will basically help to split atoms, which creates a whole bunch of energy. And this is how this kind of power plant was designed. But the Soviets cut so many corners when it came to safety measures that obviously something like this was possible. And they were just in complete denial. They're like, no, it's impossible. The RBMK-1000 reactor does not explode. So no, it didn't explode. And they're like, really? Because half the fucking building is gone, and the roof is gone. And by the way, the roof's on fire. Why is the roof on fire? They were supposed to design it with something fireproof that wasn't available. So they went for a cheaper material for the roof, which was fucking flammable. Do you think that even if they had a a flame retardant roof, that a nuclear reactor melting down was going to, it was going to like stop that? I mean, I I feel like even if they had the fireproof roof, it still would have blew the roof into the orbit. (laughs) You know what but, I mean? but then it wouldn't be on fire. And that was a big problem of why it became so hazardous. I mean, this stuff, like when it spreads, it's atoms. So it's it's clinging to anything. So all of those graphite blocks that you saw, if you watch the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO, which is phenomenal. Uh, I just rewatched the first couple episodes just to kind of 
brush up on it before we did this episode, but you see these graphite blocks that are just around and you saw like a firefighter pick it up. And this happened in, in real life as well. He just picked it up and all of a sudden, like, you know, he dies from radiation sickness, which was an absolute horrible, horrible way to go. I refrain from including too much pictures of people that were dying from radiation sickness because it is disgusting. Like yeah. their skin just turns black. And basically the way that works is like it kills your red blood cells and prevents your body from creating new ones. So you just can't heal from this stuff if you're above that certain level of milligrays. And I think at the time they had measured it in like Rentgen, I think it was called. So when you watch like yeah, the Chernobyl, <laughs> when you watch the Chernobyl series, they're talking about that, about how that's what it was being measured in. But if like, if you hit a certain number there, you're, you were toast and it, uh, no pun intended with the toast because you would, uh, you would be quite crispy, quite crispy indeed. So disgusting way to go, but do you think the um, part two of Chernobyl, we're going to talk about the ghost? We talked about the ghost. We talked about the ghost. I'm, I'm joking. Matter of fact, moth. Can we talk about Mothman? <laughs> can we? It's not I just really want to talk it's about headless bird. Where did these eyes come from, man? <laughs> oh, it had it had two glowing red eyes, but no head. Right. What do you mean it has two <laughs> glowing red eyes and no head? That's a nice way of saying glowing nipples. <laughs> <laughs> or it could have been like. Like off, like little antennas off. Yeah, like a slug like a or stump something. of his shoulder, of his crow shoulders, crolders. <laughs> mm. Moving on. Uh, yeah. That so this thing, one. it was seen before the accident. It was seen right after the accident, and then it kind of disappeared after. And I know I had said like once everyone left, so did the blackbird of Chernobyl. And I think someone in chat was like, "Well, how do you know?" But there are still people to this day that work inside the power plant. Now, mainly, it's to stop the spread of radiation because it's still pumping this pumping the radiation out but what they did was they built a huge they call it a sarcophagus which is like a huge like half dome that is the largest man-made movable structure and they just kind of slid it over the top of reactor four and it's pretty cool to see so if you look up there's there's a few videos of people who have visited it recently it basically looks like a giant metal kind of dome and i guess it's taller than the statue of liberty the thing's huge huge crazy so they slid that kind of over the top so it would stop the spread of radiation and it uh for the most part yeah you can visit this i think you can even go inside there with special permission there's also i mean obviously right now there's a war in ukraine and i'm pretty sure russia took that over so that's a whole different story right now now is not a good time to go so uh but whenever that settles down it's also on the list but it's obviously a dangerous place Brian mentioning on the Facebook chat with the deepest cut I've ever seen in my life saying that Dr. Jennings from the Howard the Duck movie would be a perfect looking ghost for this episode. It's true, but there's about 1% of us that actually get that reference. So kudos to us that know it. You are the 1%. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) He had a, he had a killer doctor's cloak. Yeah. And uh, speaking of weird, if speaking of weird nipples, if you ever want to see some weird n- nipples, watch the Howard the Duck movie. Wow, it's interesting that both of those things tied in. Yeah, that I is pretty wacky. That's, I'm a professional here. I know how to uh, segue and tie things in together. Kate says Jesse should release a Patreon episode reading this wearing Andrew's Geiger counter <laughs> in the Doctor cloak and mask. Yes, that would be some exclusive Patreon content, and that's the kind of stuff you can get over there. So an interesting thing with, with like why 
I mean, for one, they were trying to cover up the severity of this thing from minute one, right? They're basically saying this isn't a problem. Everything's under control. They didn't evacuate the nearby cities for like 48 hours, which was far too late. Big mistake. Well, it goes it goes back before that, right? In a, part of the reason that all of this happened was because the way the Soviet Union was handling these things, because this wasn't the first nuclear meltdown. It was the first one of this magnitude, obviously, but there were like other nuclear plants that were having these issues on a smaller scale. But every time it happened, the Soviet Union would suppress the story and say, nothing, nothing's happening, everything's fine. And they wouldn't share this information with the other um, nuclear plants. Mm-hmm. So they were like, no one knew what to do because there was no protocol established because they would just suppress everything when it happened. It was also communism. So they had a bunch of people that were just kind of hanging out at the plant because their policy had said like, we need X amount of workers here. And there were some jobs that weren't even jobs anymore. So you had, there's a lot of footage of like power plant workers just sitting around playing cards. And they're like, well, that's probably why it blew up because they didn't know what they were doing. It's like, no, because they actually had nothing to do, but just the rules had said you have to be there. But one of the big things that went wrong right away was the Geiger counters that they had. And there's, I think it was a decimeter as well. Like these are the things that kind of read the radiation levels to say if it's safe or not. They only went up to a certain amount. So let's just say they only went up to 10. I don't really know what the numbers were, but, or they only went up to a thousand or whatever. And certain levels are like normal inside of a nuclear power plant. So they're going around with these meters. And as soon as the explosion happens, they go around and check them and the meters spike all the way up to the top. And they're like, oh, it's maxed out. They didn't think, well, maybe we should get a military grade one that can actually read higher than the maximum number on this meter. And they're like, oh, we're at 10 or we're at a thousand or whatever the 3.6 was. Was says. Okay, so 3.6. So we're at 3.6. And they're like, all right, that's not terrible. It could be worse. It's like, well, you don't know if it's worse. You should get a meter that reads higher. It seems obvious now. But, but I, I guess like at the time they were like, oh, it's at it's maxed out. Mm-hmm. You won't you wouldn't think it could be maxed out times a million. <laughs> you know, you're not thinking that. Right. You're thinking about if, if the max is three six, maybe you're like, ah, oh, maybe it's maybe it's higher, maybe it's five, you know. <laughs> Right. Chat seems to be upset that I didn't talk about the elephant foot. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did briefly mention it. I think I was going to get back to it, but I was like, well, do I want this episode to be an hour long? <laughs> so I didn't get to the elephant foot, but that's kind of what's left of the, uh, of the core. What they had did was, was they were dumping a ton of sand into the, into the core and they couldn't really dump it directly onto it. Cause if you fly the helicopter above it, everyone that's in that helicopter is doomed from the radiation levels mm-hmm. and they were dumping sand into it. But when you dump a whole bunch of sand onto like something that's burning at 4,000 degrees or whatever it was burning at, you create you glass. You, no, you get lava. So it mm. worse than glass. Some, <laughs> some say debatable. debatable. <laughs> Again, I'm not a scientist, but yeah, lava, bad. So it did create this kind of lava, and it's basically like the most radioactive thing on the planet now, I think, is just this thing that looks, it's like shaped like an elephant's foot now. And it's huge. It is. The core is massive. Yeah. 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 Big dangerous situation. So you, I think the official like count from the Soviet Union has remained at 31 deaths, which is ridiculous. So that is pretty much who died in like the first 48 hours. So you had the two that died from the initial explosion. I don't know if they died right away. I, I read some varying reports that some say that they just died from the explosion. Some say that they just were hit with so much radioactivity that they, uh, they eventually died in the hospital. Well, there were, there were people that were like at the site of the reactor when it was melting down that just straight up evaporated too. 
So I don't know if they count those as deaths or do they count them as missing? That's a good question. I don't that know. That was a big thing with the uh, with the Civil War. They were like they X evaporated? amount of deaths. Basically, there's X amount of deaths, X amount of um, casualties, injuries, and then X amount of missing. And the, the number of missing people is gigantic because they're using that canister shot, which would literally just liquefy people. Oh. So that's, that's, some, that's why that statistic is kind of, you know, malleable. Where it's like, there's, you know, you have a certain amount of deaths, but the deaths, the death toll is probably a lot larger because they're not counting the missing people as deaths because you can't count it to death if there's no body. If they're just completely missing. Because I, I think more so in the case of the Civil War, um, you're probably dealing with people that just like, screw this, I'm done, and they, they would just leave. That was right. a huge part of it, too. Not so much the case in Chernobyl. So they say like the, it's so hard to pinpoint how many deaths actually occurred from this because you have so many people that got sick from it. And this wasn't that long ago. This was 1986. So it's like people are still alive, but still suffering from the consequences. You know, the, the, the long-term health effects, a lot of it, a lot of cancer. They estimate in the thousands, I think it was like 4,000 to 12,000 people that could have got radiation induced cancer from it. It's got to be a hundred, hundred percent of the people that were in the area must have died from cancer at a later point. It has to be close to a hundred percent. It was up. I mean, just among children, the cancer rate spiked 90%. It was a 90% increase over the next few years. So just brutal. And then you also had like massive like birth defects. There were some absolute messed up pictures. I, I just couldn't include them because you had people that, you know, with giant limbs, missing limbs, extra limbs, uh, two heads. Like, it's just crazy, crazy stuff with the birth effects. It wasn't even just people. I mean, the cows and stuff, um, pets. The, the other thing, too, and, and this was an upsetting scene in the movie, was they had to leave all their dogs behind. And there was a scene in the miniseries on HBO where the military went back and just had to shoot all the dogs uh, and in the not obviously the show. exactly you, you don't want to see dogs get shot it's heartbreaking but in the book they broke down how this was an act of mercy now, i wouldn't condone shooting dogs but yeah, they were going to no, die no. a horrendous death from the radiation or starving to death or whatever i mean they'd all basically become strays but a lot of them refused to leave the front doorsteps of their home because they're sitting there waiting for their owners to get home right for some reason i told my son about this and he was really sad and i regret what telling him about wrong that. with you <laughs> he was there while i was making the episode okay <laughs> but yeah it's like the saddest story ever so yeah, yeah it's up there yeah maybe don't tell your son about them shooting dogs i did not i didn't i left that part out but uh because I, I was watching some stuff on YouTube, like the abandoned scene or whatever. And they had mentioned the dogs that had to be left behind. I've left out the part that the military came in and shot them all. So hopefully he doesn't watch this episode, mm. but hopefully not sad story, hopefully sad not. story all around. But I mean the, and I mentioned it at the end of the episode was that the efforts that they put in, like the crew that was there literally saved the world. If, if not, then it saved that continent because as this, the core continued to burn, there's no water or sand that's going to put this thing out. So it continued to burn and it was creating this lava and they're worried that it was going to fall through the floor and ruin the entire water supply. That's problem one. Problem two is if it collapsed through, it could have ignited every other reactor. There's still three other active reactors at Chernobyl. 
or there was at the time. They're all shut down now. Still part of the electrical power grid, but for now it's still. But so that could have set off three more of these massive explosions and it would have wiped out everyone in Russia, would have wiped out everyone in Lithuania, everyone in Belarus, like all these surrounding countries would have just been eliminated because of the magnitude of what could have happened. And you saw some of the extra steps that they took to to prevent that from happening. One of those was they sent the whole mining crew to dig a tunnel underneath uh, underneath the reactor. And what they were going to do was like install like a cooling unit underneath, basically throw a little AC in there, cool down that core. And um, by the time they had dug this entire tunnel, it started cooling. It started cooling down on its own. So that was a big waste of time. From what I thought the counts, <laughs> dude, they these guys were thought hard. the counts. Yeah, gotta send so. in Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis to take care of that situation, as we saw in Armageddon. If you yep. need something drilled, that's who you call. You don't train the scientists to drill. You trail the, you train the drillers to be scientists. That movie makes no sense. Do you think the guys who dug this tunnel for no reason dug it, and then they found out that the reactor was cooling on its own, and they were disappointed? No, because they were getting paid. Not that much. <laughs> yeah, not that much. Not worth dying over, which most of them probably did. So can't pay me enough but i mean a lot of these people were they just and they they did a good job of explaining this in the miniseries was that a lot of them were just like they laid it on i'm like listen do you want to save the entire country because that's what's on your shoulders right now and these were some gung-ho people that you know were all about it and they they went ahead and uh got the job done so was it as quick as it could have been was it did the higher-ups handle this situation well at all no. I mean, they should have evacuated immediately. They shouldn't have denied what was going on. They should have warned surrounding cities and, and countries that this radiation was spreading to. They said that like traces of this radiation spread all the way to the United States. That's I'm sure. Far. Yeah. It's this similar with the, uh, the one in Japan that was several years ago there. Mm-hmm. Was it Fukushima I yeah. think with the, t- with the tidal wave that one also spread. That one caused a lot of damage. I don't think it was as big or as much fallout as Chernobyl, but it was up there. It's up there. Yeah. I don't really know why that one doesn't get the press that it got. It was mentioned a lot of times in this book and basically the company that was handling it, which was basically the company that ran the the power plant, they were cutting corners in the cleanup and they were dragging homeless people off the street and being like, you get a shovel. You're cleaning this up. And the government was like, you gotta, don't have it bad enough. Yeah. The government's like, you gotta, you gotta stop doing that. <laughs> and eventually I think the government just took over that operation. I haven't read too much into that, but they did mention it. Like I said, a few times in this book, but it is a fact that they were just, just grabbing up homeless people. Yeah. So in regards to like some of the paranormal stuff, as we were doing, as we were going through this episode, we always talk about like ghosts and how they like take energy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do we think that they were some of the ghosts are showing up like as radioactive energy, and that's why we're getting a lot of the hotspot stuff that they're capturing out there? That's what the episode that I watched was leading towards, mm-hmm. and it it added up with when they were capturing stuff. I mean, you never know; it's TV, so you don't know if they're just adding in sound effects or whatever. But it seemed to be that every time some sort of paranormal event would take place, yeah, the Geiger counters would start clicking more and more and more. And Geiger counters are a thing that have been used for a long time in paranormal investigations. 
mm-hmm. where they do believe that there's some sort of connection between radioactivity and some sort of hauntings that are about to take place. And then you also had the the cases with the equipment draining and then something would happen, which is very common, obviously. Yeah. It just, uh, that's what kind of struck me as we were talking about this, because we're talking about people like literally melting, which is terrifying, but they're liquefying into because of energy. So maybe they are, you know, I'm not trying to make this like a, like a superhero movie, but like just in terms of like the paranormal energy that they are just like storing that paranormal energy and whether it be a residual or, um, what have you haunting, it could be because of all that radiation energy on top of the, the massive tragedy, right? And living there the whole time. Exactly. So Pripyat was like, it was a town that was built for people to work at Chernobyl, basically. It was a brand, it was it was a relatively new city. The average age there was like 26. It was a bunch of young, smart people, like the brightest minds from all over Ukraine and Russia would go there and kind of put in their work inside of Chernobyl. I do want to get to these comments because we have like the actual scientists here. So Rachel, who knows things, said uh, radiation is high energy particles, so it checks out. And then Catherine, I didn't read this comment, but I hope it's good, says radiation is very high energy. If paranormal activity uses energy in any form, this would be an epicenter. Okay, they were good comments. That's good news. So it checks out. We do have the scientists in chat. And I appreciate that. And Rachel has studied this stuff. So I believe you. Yeah, I, I think that that like I said, dates back a long time is using Geiger counters to measure radioactivity because they do believe that that's connected to hauntings. Very interesting stuff. It is. And Andrew has one. He brought it over and we were checking out, uh, my wife collects uranium glass, which is radioactive. Sounds like a great idea. It's more dangerous than lava. Don't you know this? It's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not um, that it's not that dangerous. It's da- it can be dangerous if you break it or like if you get like dust particles in the air with it. But if you're careful with it, it's 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 not uh, harmful. But we we used his uh, whatever the device is called there, and uh, we were getting the thing to redline, which was kind of alarming. I was like, let's not have these. We used to have them right behind me here. I'm like, let's not have these here anymore. <laughs> but they look really cool under a black light. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, I think Andrew actually brought his Geiger counter to the Conjuring House. I remember him walking around with that, I think. Pretty sure. Good. It was either that or the Oliver House. Maybe both. Maybe Probably both. Is. Soph comes in with the comment of the day. says, none of these tragedies are as radiant as me. <laughs> wow. Real classic. What is that even? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew says, if you break it. it and eat it, you might get sick. So I guess it's not, uh, not, that, not that bad. Yeah. Wouldn't eat lava. Wouldn't recommend that one either. So, uh, yeah, a few of these buildings were interesting the hospital is supposed to be haunted now i i'm sure tons of people died in the hospital it's a hospital every hospital has a ton of deaths always sad but i think most of the chernobyl victims actually died at the hospital i think it was hospital six in moscow because in moscow they actually had like a radiation department they were actually equipped to handle uh these kind of patients so pretty much as soon as they realized that this was some sort of radiation sickness. They just transferred um, most, if not all of the patients straight to Moscow from what I understand. So could still be haunted, could still be dead. I'm sure there were at least a few Chernobyl victims that died inside that hospital. I, I would find it almost impossible to think that there wasn't, but I do believe most of them got transferred away, but still haunted in the uh, schoolhouse. Another one that had some really interesting haunts, which they have all these like kind of broken down pianos and mm. 
they had heard the plucking of like one of the piano strings right after they saw something in one of the windows. And uh, I think it was Destination Truth that did the episode, but they took their evidence to the ghost hunters and they kind of analyzed it. And there was a few of them that they did debunk, which is good because you like to see, you know, that they're not just saying absolutely everything is perfect evidence, but a few of the images that they got on the thermal imaging equipment they had said that's probably just your own reflection because it, apparently your reflection in thermal imaging cameras can show up in like windows and stuff. So there was a couple of them that they debunked. Another one they they debunked as most likely an animal, but it doesn't account Which for is thermal in, in it, thermal in, bleh, thermal image. It's going well. I like how this is going. <laughs> <laughs> They're detecting heat, right? So would you have to be close to the glass in order for it to pick up your reflection? I don't know. You're the scientist, Jesse. Tell us. He's not wearing his. his uh, I'm not wearing his, my his doctor, my doctor cloak. cloak. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Have you heard this uh, this theory about Twinkies that they can survive an apocalypse? Twinkies Donnie Newman asks, "Did the Twinkies survive? They supposedly survive everything." Yeah, Twinkies, cockroaches, and lobsters. Lobsters uh, don't die unless you kill them. Or if they outfat their shell. Oh, that's another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dave, this is the perfect opportunity for you to do the lobster dance that I would like for you to demonstrate to all the people in the chat. We should get back on topic here. I agree. You talked about lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring them up. Chat, uh, make sure you let Dave know you want to see the lobster dance. So the other hauntings that we have here, there are a bunch of locals. I feel like there needs to be some more like due diligence when it comes to actually interviewing people that used to live there, people that work there now, because I, because almost everyone that they talked to in the destination truth episode seemed to have a ghost story. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this place must have a ton of it. There was so much that happened here mixed out with the radioactivity and everything else. All, you know, all the death and, and tragedy that happened there, people just up and leaving their homes for good. I'm trying to ignore the fact that the entire chat <laughs> is asking for Dave to do the lobster dance, but it's hard to stay on topic when I see this going on. Dave's not going to do a lobster dance. Wow. Just, I mean, that's why you're <laughs> the least favorite member of the show. Cause you won't do the lobster dance. <laughs> w. All right. <clears throat> we got past that. Um, I would like to talk about the woman who actually lived there and has now seen the ghost of people that she knew that perished in this tragedy. Yeah. So that's one of them that I was just talking about where, where basically they, she was interviewed in that destination truth episode, Ricardo mm-hmm. coming with four ninety nine in super chat for the lobster dance and pics of elephant foot. I'm gonna have to pull up a picture of the elephant's foot. Um, and, and her story was, was that she had been returning to her childhood home, which is inside of this exclusion zone. And she was saying that more and more frequently, she was seeing people that had passed away in the tragedy or passed away after from, uh, from radiation doses. And her description of this, the way that she described it made it sound not scary. But when I relay the story, it sounds way scarier than she was making out to be. She's basically saying like, oh, it's nothing scary. It was, you could tell it was them, but they had no face. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, that really doesn't make it less scary. In fact, that makes it a lot more scary. 
yeah, I don't like that. That's terrifying. The the faceless stuff is always scary, right? Like it's it really is. It just for some reason that whole situation um just it's like it adds a layer. I feel like any yes, anytime you have like uh an apparition of a human, but but there's some sort of distortion that makes it not whether it's no face, no eyes. Uh, there was one we heard that had like a really long neck, stretched out neck. Mm-hmm. It's just extra disturbing when it's in human form, but but something's missing or very off, right? Like it's just yeah, it's, exactly. It's a very different situation because like you could walk up to a ghost as we all do every day, probably. <laughs> um, but if it's if it looks normal, it you're still going to be terrified. You're still going to be scared. But there's a, like a familiar, like a familiar essence there. But if you like walk up and something turned around and had no face, you are going to absolutely shit your pants and and run. Not that you wouldn't with a regular ghost, but for that especially, like if it was if it was a person, you'd still just kind of like probably jump back, right, and be like, "What is happening here?" But no face. I'm out the door. I'm out of there. Goodbye. Same. Catholic McSlugs draws four ninety nine in super chat and says, "Dance, peasant." You only get the one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Stitch Kitten also drops $2 in Super Chat. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Thank you all for that. And um, yeah, th- th- that's another thing. I don't know. Is it something that's with the demonic? And I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Dave, but you're a resident expert on everything Ed Warren. So <laughs> the, <laughs> um, they say that like if something demonic is trying to play itself off and appear as someone you know, there will always be something that's slightly off with the apparition. So if you're like, oh, I saw the ghost of my father, but but poor father has like, you know, a, an extra Chernobyl arm or something, right? Yeah. And like, so there will always be something off. Could be an ankle twisted, could be, you know, maybe it's missing its nose, maybe it's maybe it's missing its face. Mm-hmm. That's something to do with the demonic. I'm not saying that there's anything demonic. Yeah, no, that's one, that's one theory that if you are looking to if there's something that you you if you want to know if a entity as is a demonic entity then there will be exactly like what you said there mm-hmm. will be one uh distorted feature right it's something to look out for because obviously the kind of paranormal experiences that people really look for is getting a message from a loved one who's passed right mom right. to me right she she had this message to tell me but if there's something off with her, it's something that you really need to be careful for because this is another thing that demonic entities will try to do is earn your trust. And one of those ways would be appearing as someone that you trust, you know, to let down your guard. But pay attention right. because if there's a there was one off, specific, there was one specific one where there there was a pa- a loved one that had passed away, and it was it was a it was a child. So chat's gonna love that part. But it was the ghost of a child. But when it would talk, whether I don't remember whether it was like a nephew, a niece, or a son or daughter, but when they would talk, the mouth would open too wide, Ooh. and it, they were like, "That is weird. Ooh. That's like a weird detail," and it just screwed with them. So when they brought it to the the priest or whoever it was, whatever expert that they were talking to at the time, they were like, "Oh, that is that is the the one distorted uh, feature that would signify that this is a demonic spirit." Mm. Uh, I was just going to bring up the point, like the opening the mouth just slightly too wide that might be scarier than no face like because it's yeah. just I, I don't know that's that's a creepy one this has quickly right. turned into the most 
terrifying conversation we've ever had on hometown ghost stories. <laughs> like I'm horrified by the entire conversation. Yeah. Mm. Um, and what's funny is it starts back from a story that she prefaced by saying, this is not, not scary. Not not that scared me. It was just, they just didn't have faces. Yeah. That's they just right. look like moving mannequins basically. Um, which everyone, no one's afraid of moving mannequins, right? No, no. Yeah. I guess, I guess any like, abnormal feature facial feature you've seen the eye ones too right where the eyes are too big mm -hmm. those or they're or if they're missing well yeah missing eyes is creepy as hell too but yeah the too big the black eyes the black eyed children like you, there's so many like just things that are just off by one thing and you're you're just absolutely in a panic mode situation where you need to get away from whatever that is and that's, yep. that's probably why they think it's demonic. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but because it's so often the way that it makes you feel, it's going to make you feel like something demonic around you. Yeah. I don't know what the reasoning is that that gets equated with demonic stuff, but something to look out for, for sure. And then there was a, another guy that got interviewed. He was like, um, I think he was like a driver or a security guard. No, he was a guard that worked. There's like these security checkpoints when you try to get to Chernobyl. You can't just go, but if you go ahead and request permission or if you meet the right guard at the right time, I guess you, you could go. I do not know what the situation is now. Obviously, it's a war zone, so don't go there. But a few years ago, the procedure would be you just kind of go and either – I that, that's something like I would not travel all the way there without knowing for sure that I'm going to get in. So I'm sure there's a way to figure it out because they do like tours and stuff or they did tours and stuff, but – there was one guard who was like, he started telling his story and the translator was like, no, nah, that's too scary. I'm not going to translate that. And he just walked away. And the guys were like, wait, I really want to know what he said. <laughs> and they're like taxi driver or something came up and he's like, what's going on? And he ended up translating for him, but he was saying that he had seen like some sort of spirit just, I think it was earlier that day or the previous night. And I think it was inside the hospital building, but he had seen something there and he didn't do a very good job of describing it, but that was uh, something that was too, I, I don't know if it was, he's like, this is too scary. Or if he's like, I'm not dealing with this bullshit, I'm leaving. But the guy refused to translate the story, which really made it more intriguing. But it seems like, it, it just seems like everyone's got a story over there. So it's like, I want to know more. I need to, I want to hear from more people that work at the factories and or not the factories, but the uh, power plants and, and work over there, maybe even as security, because they got to see something. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a haunted place. Yeah. And I wonder how many like um, hauntings we're going to uncover, the more we're able to get in there throughout the years. Right. When we're, when we're able to access more places in Chernobyl more frequently, like what else is going to appear in this place? Because, this is a giant tragedy. Like a lot of bad things happened here. So mm -hmm. um, we don't even know the full extent of what could be haunting that place. Yeah. And the energy thing is, is interesting, but I wonder if there was too much energy, right? With a nuclear reactor melting down and just obliterated, obliterated, obliterated I can't speak today, obliterated all of the natural energy that hap that, you know, came from the, human death that would have typically led to a haunting. That's an interesting theory. And then the other thing is like, like I'm watching dance, their equipment dance, malfunction. Dance. <laughs> dance. I'm watching all their equipment malfunction. And I'm like, I wonder if would radioactivity hadn't have an effect on like your equipment? Because you saw this when they were doing the cleanup, they had basically brought in these robots 
from Germany and different places to try to clean off the radioactive the radioactive material off the roof, all these like chunks of graphite and everything. So they put these like remote controlled robots on the roof and they're just supposed to take the debris and just shovel it off the edge. And they couldn't control these robots. They couldn't move around. The TVs were dying out or the screens or whatever. And then one robot, the German one, literally just committed suicide. The robot just was like, screw this and just drove itself off the roof. And they're like, they're, they're just back. They're like, wait, the, the robot killed itself. <laughs> so the robot thing didn't work. They ended up just sending up more people. They're like, all right, seven, seven seconds at a time. That's the shift. One of you is going to go out, take basically one shovel full, toss it over, and then get out of there because you'll die. They're all going to die anyways. They all died. But the one thing that was, I'm watching, because there was a new documentary, which is actually what's piqued my interest in doing this. Like I saw it like last week, I think it was on Netflix. And it was all this like found footage or previously classified footage that they've recently de- declassified or whatever. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I'm sitting here watching the footage and it's showing one guy come out, shovel some debris off the roof, go back in because it's too radioactive. Another one come out, shovel some more debris off. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, this cameraman is screwed. Like <laughs> this is a guy holding this camera. And then as I was reading this book, it later on, it was like the cameraman died. I was like, okay, so he did die. <laughs> I was like, shit, man. I mean, I'm not laughing at him dying. I'm just laughing at you putting that together. And you think about these things too, like with these cameramen and we watch people like doing these crazy stunts or stuff or these crazy flying formations. And you're like, wait, there's a man with a camera doing everything that they're doing. The cameraman is the real star here doing all the stuff that all these other people are that they're recording. Yeah. Like I'm watching there's, there's a, a series on Netflix of this guy who climbs shit without like any kind of harnesses, no safety equipment. Pretty sure he mm-hmm. fell to his death recently. Anyways, he's like climbing this stuff and I'm sitting here watching and I'm like, there's a cameraman too. And whether or not he has a harness, he's doing this and holding a camera. I'm like, that guy's what the documentary should be about. <laughs> you know? like, like, damn, that's crazy. The same with like the poor cameraman that have to go with like bear grills. You know, he's like in a, you know, in the rainforest, just, eating leaves yeah he's like hanging by on a cliff by one arm and the cameraman just looks down it's like oh, fuck off dude i gotta do this now while holding a camera <laughs> dude, like, what are we awful. doing here yeah. <laughs> i hate you uh, <laughs> yeah yeah we so, got way off track there but well, yeah, yeah we, did. we did cameramen real heroes yeah that one always paid the ultimate price but yeah i mean as far as i know it's, I, I really think that this place has got to be haunted. I don't know if I buy all of the stories. So like the Mothman one is, it's kind of silly, but you don't want to discount it. And it was reported on before the thing even happened. They kind of made the connection after like, well, maybe that was a dark omen. I mean, they're seeing a bird with a 20 foot wingspan. You might see that after the radioactivity and these, you know, deformed creatures are coming out of the woodwork literally, but before that's interesting. So, but the other one that I had mentioned that we didn't really talk about was kind of this miracle that happened with this guy, Yuri and the partisan tree. So the partisan tree had the radiation cloud was moving towards it. And then it was going straight for the city center of Pripyat, which hadn't been evacuated yet. And it was like the, it was just where everybody was right in the city center. That was like the residential area. This cloud could have killed thousands of people or at least made them sick, gave them cancer or whatever. It would have doomed a lot more people. And it somehow just split at this point. And this is what created like the red forest. I included a picture of it, but I don't think I mentioned the red forest, but it's like the most radioactive forest. All of the trees just turned red, which is why they call it the red forest. And um, 
also there, there was a church that was affiliated with it that I didn't really mention, but this church is right in the exclusion zone. And for some reason, even right after the explosion, there was like little to no radio activity in the atmosphere in and around this church. And they didn't really have an explanation as to why. And they had to shut it down. And it just, it always had maintained that lower level. Even if you go there now, like there's still small levels of radiation kind of all over the place. They kind of seem like they're in pockets or they're deposited in certain material. But at that church, it's always been low. They even still have church sermons there. It was illegal for a while, but now I think they allow it. So they still like hold Sunday service at this church in Chernobyl. And that's where that icon first hang or hung that they had designed that we talked about in the episode. So it's kind of interesting. Was the church in the Red Forest or near it? I think it's on the other side, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. It might be. That is bizarre. It might be. It was very bizarre that it kind of had the lower level of radiation than anywhere else. And they also said that the church is haunted, but that seemed to be debunked because they're like, this abandoned church is haunted. But then when I found out that there's still church services there, I'm like, it's just not abandoned. So they see lights right. on and stuff and they hear noises coming from the church, but it's probably just people maintaining the church, even if they were doing so illegally at a certain point. Are the low levels, are they from inside the church or just in the general vicinity of the church? I think it's in and around from what I understand. In and around. I was going to say if the church is like built out of something that is, you know, that could block the, it. The, that could block it. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, it's in and around and it's not like no radiation, but it's just, it's a level that you could survive in. Mm. So that's something. Pretty but yeah, weird stuff. Love the imagery from Chernobyl. You know, if you play Call yeah, of Duty, you remember the... Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful, Jesse. That's Where not what I mean. <laughs> I love places that just get absolutely <laughs> not that kind of guy. But anyways, I uh, would recommend this book. It's called 012340. It doesn't go into the hauntings, but it goes through all of the uh, science that I talked about and also the effects that it had and the reasons that it happened and the kind of the Soviet Union cover-up. And this basically led to the fall of the Soviet Union. So it had its effects. It's still costing them like billions every year. It's uh, It's been pretty crippling to that whole area. Anything else you wanted to talk about with Chernobyl? Unless you guys want me to explain how nuclear reactors work. <laughs> yeah, that's what we've all been waiting for again. Um, yeah. I, I do find the, what I find the most interesting is just the the different type of energy and the different type of hauntings we might be experiencing when we can explore this place more. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're saying that that's the reflections off the window, but maybe not. There was there was one that they couldn't debunk, and that was the one image that I showed on screen. Mm-hmm. And it was a really clear image of someone, and it looked like it looked like they were ducking around a corner, but where they were in that building, there was no doorway and there was no corner. So he was literally coming out of a wall, which made that even more Ooh. interesting. So and half his body was still in the wall. So it wasn't like somebody could have just popped, you know, popped over during the investigation and thrown off the thermal camera. It was legitimately in the shape of a human being. I'll describe it for the audio listeners. Like you could see a clear head and you could see a hand. And it seems like you could see like a part of a leg or part of the torso if it was crouched or whatever, but it's literally coming out of the wall, like dipping out. So it was a pretty cool image. And according to the guys on Ghost Hunters, they they said that that was a pretty solid piece of evidence. It was arguably their best piece of evidence that they got. They also had some girl that was grabbed there too, like something grabbed her wrist. But you never know what to believe when those kinds of things happen during paranormal investigations, especially on TV. I mean, yes, but also after it happening to me, I'm I lean more towards it, like understanding at least. 
Oh, I don't yeah. discount it. I mean, I've had my shoulder grabbed and it stayed intact. So <laughs> shut up, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. That's why I don't believe you. That's how we know it wasn't a human being. Yeah. Something's off with this story here. <laughs> uh, do we want to get in? Do we have a um, ghost story this week, Dave? I do. I have one that was sent in anom- and oh man, I don't know. <laughs> Anonymously. I love it. <laughs> All right. Can't wait to hear you read this. I'm looking forward to it. My mom used to work night shift at a hospital before she retired. Years ago, she had a terrifying experience that she recently told me about. During one of her shifts, she had an an elderly patient that was in the ICU getting ready to pass. Oftentimes, my mom would sit and visit with her patients during her downtime. The woman was crying, so my mother held her hand and asked what was wrong. Still crying, the woman leaned over and whispered, he's here for me. Then she said he was evil when he was alive and still just as evil now. Confused, my mom asked the lady if she was talking about her husband. The woman told my mother her dead husband made her life a living hell and now, on her deathbed, has been in her room for days tormenting her. He told her he was here to take her. My mom didn't see anyone in the room, so she asked, where is he? I don't see anyone. She pointed to the corner of the room and said, he's standing right there. She said he had been standing in the corner of the room since she was admitted to the ICU. My mother offered to pray with the woman, which she accepted. The woman eventually passed, but had told my mother before she went that she no longer saw her husband and was able to go in peace. Oh, that one actually gave me some goosebumps. Yeah, creepy. It's a super creepy one. I really hope that uh, if I'm ever on my deathbed, there's no freaking ghost in the corner, like saying that they're waiting for me to pass to bring me somewhere. That's terrifying. Yeah, that's some uh, Grim Reaper stuff. Yeah. Very creepy. Yeah, well, that was a good mm-hmm. one. Um, thank you, Anonymous, for sending in that story. Uh, definitely terrifying. Do we want to read some reviews? Before we do that, I need to satisfy the chat by displaying a picture of the elephant foot. There is the elephant foot oh, at very Chernobyl. Cool. It does look like an elephant's foot. So it does. We have done our due diligence. Dave still owes us four more lobster dances, but we'll get to that later. He does. Um, so this one is from Parzival, who I think did leave us a review before. So this is an updated review, which you are all welcome to do. We will read updated reviews as well. Uh, been listening for nearly a year now and have become a big fan. Listen to you guys every week. Keep up the great work, guys. Hope to hear about the suicide force in Japan and the upcoming pods, maybe. Very interesting. We've actually had that one requested multiple, multiple times. So we will have to do an episode on that at some point. I don't have any plans to do it for myself in the near future, but I don't know if either of you guys do. It's a possibility. So, so this one is from the Groucho Marks, and it is uh, titled Something for Everyone. And it is says to start to be read in the character of Groucho Marx. So I will do my best here. Well, nice. there, folks. It's your old pal Groucho Marx. And I just had to stop by and give a big old five-star review of this podcast. And let me tell you, I've been around the block a few times. I've heard my fair share of shows. But this one, well, it's just the bee's knees. I particularly enjoy the fair evaluations and how the hosts keep things lively with plenty of jokes and witty banner to keep me on my toes. And the content, top-notch. My- Top notch, my friends. All without any silly voices like I used to hear out the various speakeasies I would visit. 
So if you're looking for a darn good time and a whole lot of knowledge, look no further than this hair podcast. Trust me, you won't regret it. At the request of the assistance of the regional manager, I will suggest a few episodes to try. Episode 48 covers the NFL poltergeist. Let me tell you, folks, this little spectral rascal had people in a tizzy back in the day. Another great episode covers the notorious duo, Bonnie and Clyde. So if you're looking for a darn good time and a whole lot of knowledge, look no further than this hair podcast. Trust me, you won't regret it. I'm on to you. Whoever that was wanted to hit the bingo card. That's why they brought up those episodes. <laughs> oh! Uh, yeah. Uh, also, it's... Wow. Yeah, also brought up funny accents. Mm. These are all markers on the bingo card. So whoever in chat rings out bingo, we know exactly who we left banned for life. We're on to you. <laughs> We're on to you. It's also ironic that they said that there wasn't a bunch of funny accents, and then they made you read it in a funny accent. Yeah. But... Right. Funny accents is one of the things on the bingo cards. For those of you who don't know about the bingo cards, this is a thing that we do. In Discord, Stephanie A has created a whole bunch of different bingo cards. So if you haven't joined Discord yet, join our Discord. And uh, link is in the show notes. And you can join up, connect with the community. It's a lot of fun, actually. Post pictures, uh, share ghost stories, movie review suggestions, book suggestions. We're actually going to start doing some booktube stuff where we review some uh, some horror books, which I'm looking forward to. We're going to bring in my buddy Pat for that, who reads books, so he knows a thing or two about books. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So join Discord, and you can, uh, you can be a part of that. Also, join Patreon if you like. If you have the money and you'd like to give us some and help out supporting the show, that is the best way to do it. I'll read those out in a moment. Do we have anything else we want to go over, gentlemen? Um, apparently, it is Matthew T's birthday. So happy birthday to Matthew T in the chat. Yeah, happy birthday, happy Matthew birthday. T. Absolute legend. I believe he's the top donator, top donor of the day. He so is. thank you for that as as usual. And let's go ahead and thank our patrons, which we have a couple of new ones, which is always fun. So uh, for our VIPs, we have Allison V, Jeannie R, Justin T. We also have Justin T, who is also still on there twice. So thank you, Justin, twice. We have Lisa J, Mike Oubliette Blake. He officially changed his name on Patreon to an oubliette, so we love that. <laughs> we have Mom and Pops W, Robert H, Stephen V, Demon King, and Irish Assassin Gaming, who is also a VIP. So thank you to all you guys. We also have MBR, Anna C, Even Better Hometown, Ghost Stories, Garrett, Lily, IDGIF Batch, Jake V, Janice G, Marfire, Rachel B, Stephanie A, Sydney B, Al Capone, Anthony T, Ashley M, Brandon W, Brennan B, Captain McSlugs, Cody G, Eric S, who's a new one, so thank you, Eric. Huggy Bear, Joe Roberts, Kiralee J, Mark M, Matthew T, Mariah M, Papa Squatch, Paul from St. Louis, Sarah R, Scotty L, Solar Flare, Soph, and Hooper. Thank you guys so much for being part of Patreon. We appreciate you. And uh, yeah. Our assassin says, HTGS lab coats on sale now. They're actually called Dr. Cloaks. Dr. Cloaks. Yeah, Dr. Cloaks. We, to make, we can make custom Dr. Cloaks with the hometown okay. ghost stories. And then on the other side, I'll just say doctor, weather observer, nuclear physicist, Jesse. <laughs> or you could customize it with your own name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we do have a merch store if you are looking to get some merch. We do have beanies, as I am wearing right now. And we have shirts, not V-necks. I am the only one with a V-neck. But uh, we do have T-shirts available as well if you're looking for some merch. Or donate millions of dollars and we just send you stuff. That's also <laughs> true. Yes. Yes, we do. We appreciate that, and we appreciate all you guys for hanging out. On Friday, we're going to drop a horror movie review. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I So, a little inside knowledge on how the sauce, sausage is made at Hometown Ghost Stories. Um, 
we are recording that after we finish this live episode, and I've been looking forward to this all day. Irish wants to know how much for a Rob Warren beanie. Ooh, do you want a hometown ghost stories home worn one, or do you want one of my gray ones? Because talk about some radi- radiation poisoning. That gray <laughs> one <laughs> might get you sick. Mm-hmm. Because I wear that thing there. all the time. <laughs> For sure. Uh, once again, happy birthday to Matthew. We appreciate you and we love you over here. And I think there was another comment I wanted to touch on, but I don't see it now. So, uh, oh yeah, the movie that we're watching is Children of the Corn. There's a new one, 2023. And so if you haven't already, check that out. We're going to drop it on Friday. I don't even know where it's streaming. It was supposed to be streaming on Shutter, and for some reason it's not. And I have good reason. I kind of understand why it's not, but we're not going to say anything. Spoilers. No spoilers. This might be our best movie review of all time is all I'm going to say. There's potential. And it says which movie we're reviewing. Uh, yeah, Children of the Corn, the brand new 2023 one. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> Pop says, can I have a sandpaper beanie for wow. Rob? Ay, 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 ay. I think mm. we'll go out on that note. Anything else, gentlemen? That's it for me. All right, we'll see you on Friday for a brand new Hometown Ghost Stories horror movie review. And then we'll be back on Tuesday for a brand new live episode. Dave, where are we going on? Oh, no, it's, I keep trying to give it to Dave. Rob, where are we going on Tuesday? <laughs> I haven't decided yet, so I'm stuck at Jesse. Well, that is the way that I usually do things. But if you I had, really, I had a plan, but I I had to pivot today. So well, if uh, you really put in the work, you could be a nuclear physicist. I'm already a oh, uh, um, meteorologist. Allegedly. So I don't. Yeah, I have. In <laughs> fact. All right. Can, we'll see you guys next I can week. Tell you what I should wait. Uh, how much I can tell you what the weather is. <laughs> Shut up. Just roll the credits. Luckily, I'm a doctor and Rod just had a stroke at the end of the stream. I'm going to go administer Get us out. medical attention at once. Mayday. <laughs> <laughs>